Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Cutback Podcast, where we keep our head on a swivel to bring you our living room commentary on the latest and greatest from the world of sports and the business that surrounds it. I'm Ian Burley. I'm Cullen Munns, and we're off and running. What a week. Christmas week for everybody out there. The holidays. The holiday season, and it is a festive time of year. Festive. Is there (laughs) snow down in Houston? Uh, No, it's actually a balmy 62 degrees as we speak. That's pretty good. Does it ever snow in Houston? Uh, I've lived here 18 years prior to going to school and then, you know, off and on coming back. Uh, it snowed one time, uh, since total. I've, total wow. since I've been here and the snow didn't stick. Um, but it did snow one time. Interesting. Very interesting. Never a white Christmas. Do you guys even sing that song? Yeah. We, I mean, we know it. My, my family gets into Christmas music, <laughs> like, <laughs> like a lot. So yes, man, man, it's tough. Uh, growing up, obviously here in Michigan, we usually have snow for Christmas, but it seems like the past like five or six years, it's been a no go. It's kind of uh, disappointing. Why don't you make a call to the to the lakes and tell them get that that lake effect over here, dude? It's been weird, actually. Like Michigan, our like little part of Michigan, which usually gets the most lake effect snow, has seemingly been like the only part in the state that hasn't had really any snow yet this year. So I don't know what's going on. Mother Nature needs to figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, give her a call. I'll get her on the phone. I saw her in a movie I was watching last night, so maybe I can get with her people and have her people call my people, and we can figure this thing out. Was it starring The Rock trying to save his family from Mother Nature? Nope, nope. nope. Oh. It was a Christmas movie, one oh. that is not on, uh, not on my list going forward. But ooh, okay, as a little, a little tease little, for the fantasy for the there. people. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so let's get right into it. We want to have a, uh, a quick episode for your ears this week. Figure if you're getting to, to spend some time with some family, uh, there's only so much time that you can spend with your family. So, you know, a little vacation for your ears here. Let's jump right into the work topics. This just hit like a couple days ago, Washington football team, yet another scandal, right? So let's, let's kind of set the uh, scene for people as we talked about over the summer when we had Chloe on. Multiple stories came out in the Washington Post uh, that reported that essentially about 40 different uh, former female employees of the Washington football team had experienced sexual harassment during their employment. Uh, They cited lewd videos that had been produced by the team um, from outtakes uh, of the cheerleader calendar shoot. So even that just off the bat seems like crazy. (laughs) Um, This kind of led to the whole... Um, idea that the team currently has three minority owners uh, who own 40% of the team. Uh, Dan Snyder, who everybody kind of knows as the face of the franchise, owns 60%. Those teams, three minority owners over the summer basically started to signal that they want out of the franchise. Um, There was alleged smear campaigns against Snyder and him and the other three minority owners have been going kind of back and forth and been getting lawyers involved, this whole thing. So it's kind of a mess. But it seemed like the Washington football team, both from a football standpoint and from a business standpoint, had kind of uh, calmed the wave a little bit and and were starting to kind of uh, get things figured out and and kind of have a better perception going on in the public. And then, bam, uh, both sides of the equation took a hit over the weekend. Dwayne Haskins' photos surface of him hanging out at a uh, at a at a 
ladies' establishment, a gentleman's club. Ge- yeah, say. gentleman's establishment. I don't think many ladies are, are hanging out there. Well, there were there was just enough hanging out there for uh, old Dwayne <laughs> to want to head there after the game, and you know, of course, it ends up on on Instagram Live, and and pictures get leaked of him not only at a uh, gentleman's club with a bunch of other people, um, but not wearing a mask, and, and obviously putting putting the uh, football team and their COVID protocols kind of to the side and on the back burner in his mind. But what we want to really hit on is a new report that came out in the Washington Post earlier this week that shows that the team uh, actually settled a sexual misconduct allegation uh, involving owner Dan Snyder and a former female employee uh, back in 2009 to the tune of $1.6 million. $1.6 million. So this report alleges that this all kind of took place on a private plane. Uh, Snyder's pr- private plane, and, as him and a group of employees, was returning from the Academy of Country Music Awards that took place in Vegas uh, in 2009. There's there's a lot going on here. The New York Times reported that the team, lawyers, and an outside law firm investigated and failed to substantiate the woman's claim. However, the settlement was still made, again, to $1.6 million dollars to apparently avoid negative publicity. Guess that worked for about 10 years, and here we are, negative publicity. Uh, The woman who filed the claim and then also kind of cashed in on the settlement was actually fired after the allegations uh, with the team claiming that she lied to team lawyers. In the settlement that was obtained by the Washington Post, uh, neither Snyder nor the team admitted any wrongdoing. That's generally how uh, these settlements work. So a lot going on, maybe even just from your uh, law school background, what's, go- what's going on here? What are we really looking at? I mean, I think you kind of laid it out pretty good. Uh, um, going back to you know the most recent stuff, I think it all kind of got swept under the rug because the football season happened, and that's what kind of got this to all go away, and then Dwayne Haskins, you know, pulls the cover up. But <laughs> but with with the – 2009 incident I you know they had all these lawyers investigate and they say that nothing was substantiated in their claims which and I don't want this to come across as victim blaming because there is a lot that goes on out there but I also understand like if this all goes out it takes forever to go through the process the legal process and if this publicity is going on and on and on forever like three years it is a lot of negative publicity and could cause a lot of damage to the then Redskins football team and Dan Schneider and could even cost him his football team if, you know, the publicity gets bad enough. Um, so I think he probably decided $1.6 million was a tear in a river uh, compared to what the damage could be and just let's make this go away at least for 10 years. <laughs> Yeah, well, so there's there's a couple of questions that I have where it's like when you see these reports talk about the team using their lawyers and then bringing in a quote-unquote independent uh, outside law firm, I guess maybe, maybe just being the uh, somewhat cynic in me and kind of seeing how some of this stuff has worked um, at times, it's like you assume the team lawyers aren't going to find anything because, hey, that Dan right. Schneider guy cuts their checks, right? Yeah, right. Um, what do you think about 
these independent outside law firms, do you think that we're in a situation where those law firms are actually able to operate independently? Well, who cut their checks? Well, that's exactly, that's the question, right? Is like, I assume they were still paid for by either uh, Snyder himself, by the football team. I doubt the NFL paid for that, but I don't put that out of the realm of possibility either because each team's brand builds into the NFL brand. And if one team brand is tarnished, the league brand is tarnished. So it just brings up these questions of like how legitimate are these investigations and how can you even maybe make them truly impartial? So what you see a lot of times happen in to make them truly impartial is you make both parties agree on a, a quote unquote independent person to come in. So it's, it's not really independent. It's you, you just both agree that this person can, can judge. So it's, it's more not, it's more impartial than an independent, I think is the better word. Um, what you usually see, um, but you know, with the Redskins, with the then Redskins, I just the whole thing to me. If if the lady had truly had claim, you know, she should have stuck this out longer, and she could have dragged it out if she and and made it a thing. But again, the legal system, the way the legal system set up, who who's to say she has enough money to drag out a, a lawsuit that long? to keep this going to fight the, the red, the then Redskins, like that, that's going to be because let's, who's got deeper pocketbooks in that situation. Right. Well, and I think that's something that not everybody, like I know I didn't really comprehend until over the past couple of years is understanding just how expensive the legal process is really at any level of, mm-hmm. of proceeding. So yeah, if, if you're sitting in a situation where, where you were wronged and this happened, um, you may only have the resources to do so much. And then if somebody's like, here's $1.6 million, I mean, right. that's, that's life-changing amount of money. Not that that makes anything okay, but you understand that like, well, on one hand, I might have to spend a million dollars and still maybe not even really get a fair shake because of who I'm going up against. I'm going up against a pretty powerful entity, not only right. in Snyder, but in the NFL, so that seems like an uphill battle regardless. Um, and I'm going to have to spend a bunch of my own money or $1.6 million. Now, th- the amount of money is surprising to me. Like that but makes me think something and, 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 but, and I, I don't want to cut you off, but I think you, you touched on something that I want to comment on. Like I don't, I don't think – I think what we're talking about now is – the most nefarious stuff that goes on in our country, we never hear about because it gets settled out of court because one party that's wronged usually can't afford to keep this thing going to fight the man. And so what happened, the quote unquote, the man. And so what happens is the man gets away with paying out a fraction of what they should pay in damages just because they have deeper pocketbooks than the victim, if you will. And I, and I th- I'm not necessarily saying that's happened here, but th- and that's the whole beauty of it to the to the quote unquote man is you can get away with that. Nobody right. really knows what happened because it's all non disclosed. Right. Yeah. You can't and disclose it. You you can you can find a way to make somewhat of a rational argument for either of these things happening. Right. Like it's easy to say, yeah, this is like hush money. It's also easy to say that, like you said, 1.6 million is a tear in the river for Snyder easy for this to go away even if it wasn't substantiated right so it's it's interesting there's a lot going on there without like 
kind of digging deeper into that whole aspect, the question that I kind of started to wonder is like, this is now not the first time that the football team has had some, some issues, especially around sexual harassment, right? Like what happened over the summer, you're not getting 40 people out of the middle of nowhere. Now you have the 2009 uh, settlement. At one point, does the NFL say, yo, this is enough with Snyder. We got to get him out of here. We need somebody to come in and take over ownership. Do you think that that's our, those are conversations that are happening in the NFL league office? Like, fuck no, Dan, what are we doing? No, the old, let's talk about it in our lifetime. The only owner that's been booted, uh, uh, Donald Sterling. And I would tell you the NBA is a far, 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 just far cry more progressive than the NFL. And yes, there was the Jerry Richardson deal in Carolina and they, but I think he kind of stepped down. I don't think the other owners, you know, pushed him out. I think he kind of, I think he had the actual legal system, the United States legal system coming down on him, not the <laughs> NFL owners right. coming down on him. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I think it's a different situation, but Donald Sterling was pushed out by the league. There's no deny, no denying that he had to sell the team. I don't think in a million years the NFL owners will ever push somebody out the way the NBA did. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. The conspiracy that's out there that I like, um, and it it falls because okay, who's been reporting all of these things? Well, the Washington Post. Who owns the Washington Post? Amazon. Your boy Bezos. <laughs> Who? Uh, yeah. Who didn't Amazon also isn't like outside of DC and like the tri-state area also where like Amazon is building one of their new headquarters. Ooh, you're, you're connecting some pieces here, Jan. This is, this is deep level conspiracy. <laughs> like, would it make sense for Bezos to maybe want to have more influence in and so around the buying, Washington DC you're area? You're stock in Amazon. <laughs> We're turning our show into a financial trading show. <laughs> I'm just saying the people are saying that Bezos wants a football team and he wants it in Washington uh, where he could lobby some power and Hey, if he owns a newspaper that can kind of uh, allow some of these things to get the light and maybe uh, put some pressure on, you know, that is, I mean, you're the pieces you're laying down all line up. I'm just, (laughs) if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck. Well, you'll find it at, uh, (laughs) at the wild duck. (laughs) Ooh, great place. You should find, if you haven't been to the wild duck, you should definitely try it. Incredibly underrated food at the wild duck. Absolutely. Great food. Great, great. Great times. Right across the street from Matt Knight, you just saunter on over post game. Probably just watch Sabrina drop a triple double. Just messed around. I, I lived on top of it literally for two years. I lived on top of the Wild Duck. My wow. first two years of law school lived on top of the Wild Duck. Balling. And so yeah. Oh man, we 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 <laughs> lived it up. We were regulars at the Wild Duck. <laughs> it's a good spot. Good spot in local Eugene, Oregon. Let's get into our next topic here. A um, couple things. Sports Business Journal, one of their main. Uh, writers and contributors uh john o'rand o'rand I, I can't pronounce his name but he's he's big up in in sbj and kind of always represents them and is one of their main um writers and contributors he does this thing every year where at the end of a year uh specifically around sports media rights he kind of predicts like what he thinks is going to happen he, and he generally throws out like 10 to 12 different predictions he just dropped uh his predictions for 2021 
uh, about this time last week. So wanted to touch on a few that were interesting because some of them tie into some of the things that we've been talking about and just kind of get your your gut reaction. The first one here, as we talked about maybe shit sometime over the summer, the NFL is going into TV right uh, deals being up. Uh, we noted that basically every broadcast provider pays at least a billion dollars a year for their package. So with that in context, uh, Mr. Oran says, NFL will renew its main packages. Don't expect any surprises here. These deals will be completed before spring with the NFL seeing a 75% increase in its average annual value. Wow. Whoa. (laughs) 75%? From a billion. (laughs) That's nuts. I never, I 75% increase, but I also, you know, I guess that's really betting on the future. Well, and I think, it to me, man, it just reiterates and doubles down on this fact that that we've kind of sprinkled in across many episodes is like everybody talks about live TV and and live sports viewership going down, uh, which I think we can agree with at least traditional viewership, traditional right. broadcast viewership. But the one thing that has remained constant is if you want to pull up the top fifty uh, viewed or like rated live broadcasts. Their football um, games. Yeah, 47 out of 50 are going to be NFL games every single year. Um, that includes the award shows. That includes New Year's Eve specials, all that type of shit. The Bachelor, the Bachelorette, all that. So it's like if you're going to have something on live TV, you want to have the NFL. And so if this prediction comes true, and I would assume he's kind of in the know of these things, all of a sudden you got every broadcast network paying like 1.7 to two billion dollars a year to broadcast the NFL. <laughs> but let me ask you, like, where is the? I, I guess it's just I'm I don't have an understanding. But where's there's got to be a limit. There has to be a ceiling, right? If you're a business, if you're a media conglomerate like CBS, like Fox, like whatever, ESPN, where do you, where is the ceiling where you it your business model crumbles around itself because your your costs to keep the NFL or too high. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty simple. I think it it all boils down to brands' willingness to buy ad spots. Um, because as long as the brands are willing to pay the astronomical prices that we see for advertisement spots around the NFL, then these broadcast stations know, okay, here's how much wiggle room we have. Here's how much we know we can continue to upcharge brands. We got brands knocking down the fucking door to advertise during the NFL. Um, so these brands, I mean, they're going to drop a 75% increase on, on these ad spots, right? To the you would, brand. You would imagine so, yeah. I mean, I would think it's going to be a one-to-one uh, ratio. And I, I think until brands say, hey, there's a better way for us to kind of check all of our boxes and, and reach these different demographics, as long as they think that they have value in putting millions of dollars into NFL media buys, then the broadcast companies are going to be able to to pay the NFL that much money because they're still making like make mo- no mistake fox is still going to make money off of the NFL even though they're going to pay 2 billion dollars to broadcast right. it they're just so, backfilling it for with all the different brands exactly exactly so it it's it's wild it's unbelievable but it shows you how much money is out there and where it's flowing 
Um, let's see. What was another interesting one? Thursday night football. So he predicts that Thursday night football will move uh, primarily to Amazon exclusively. Um, okay. Well, I, I retract that a little bit. He thinks it'll be on the NFL network and then simulcast on Amazon with Amazon having a handful of exclusive games. So basically saying that Fox is going to get out of the Thursday night game. This is what I think is interesting about this is like at some point, does the NFL try to make games only on streaming platforms when conventional knowledge says you're making it harder for people to watch? Because while a lot of people have Amazon accounts and then have access to prime video or whatever, not everybody does. So it's like, right. Everybody has Fox. Like you just got to have an antenna, right? So it's like, right. and it's on you. It's on all the Hulu's, YouTube TV, all that type of shit. So that one was a little interesting to me because it seemed a little counterintuitive to what the NFL usually does. Of like, let's just get in front of as many eyeballs but as possible. You can tie that one right back into uh, your your theory from before with who's buying the Washington Football Team. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you could. Wow, wow. Look at all these dots that can be connected. A lot of Amazon. Um, okay, this one, let's see. Okay, this one is, is a little interesting as well, and I don't know as much about this space, um, but we're talking Major League Baseball. Okay. And his prediction is that at least one Major League Baseball team will uh, shun their agreement with a regional sports network your fox sports detroit uh in chicago they're on like sinclair network or something um, root sports in houston root sports in the pacific northwest uh yep. we've, been, we've been we've been in the building at root sports in, in seattle yes we have um and and launch their own direct to consumer similar to like the yankees with the yes network right um and this has been a big thing baseball you know we talked about over the summer how there'd be baseball games you couldn't even watch if you were trying to watch because of the weird relationship between the RSNs and then the national broadcast and what the major league baseball is allowed to put on like their league pass or like at bat, whatever they call it. So at some point do teams now just start all of their own DTC streaming uh, like networks for their games and say, basically get lost, get bent regional sports networks. <laughs> I think I mean I really think you're kind of already starting to see that transition, and I think yes, I I, I think that's a good prediction. Uh, I just don't know. It's going to be it's going to start with your big market teams. I mean, the big one to pick right now would probably be the Dodgers to do it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, because the, the Mets and Yankees already have it, the Cubs already have it. The, I believe the White Sox even have it. They're WGN. working. They're working through those are RSNs technically though. They're working okay. through RSNs. So I think only, I mean, I, I didn't think about the Mets, but the Yankees with the Yes Network was the only thing that I thought of as a team who has like their own dedicated network on the baseball side. I believe the Mets have SNES or something. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, that sounds familiar. We'd we'd have to. Uh, we might have, have to do a little research on that one, but phone uh, a friend from this from from one of the five boroughs. Yes, exactly. Get them on the phone. <laughs> okay, I'm not even going to try a New York accent. I wanted to. I was considering it, but not even going to try. I'm more, I'm more prone to Boston. What I think will be interesting is like um, from from the little bit that we saw from like our trips to Root Sports and to the Pac-12 network, there's a lot of uh, startup capital that has to go into 
creating a, a product or a network to be able to push your games out, even just to your region. So I wonder if that'll be kind of the main barrier of entry to teams and if that'll allow RSNs to, to remain. But I mean, as a fan, these RSNs get in all of these disputes with your charter, your Comcast, right. all your cable providers. You see it scrolling across your screen like once a year, like call your provider because we're not going to agree to them. So you're not going to get X, Y, and Z channel anymore. You're going to be blacked out. So it's just a nightmare from a fan but standpoint. I, I want to know why the NBA and NHL don't ha seem to have the same problems with these RSNs because they use RSNs too. Yeah, Like true. the NBA uses RSNs. The NHL uses RSNs. Why don't those leagues have the issues that, that baseball does? With yeah. them. I just I don't under, I guess and I guess the counter argument is baseball plays 162 games so it's more days and there's more blackout opportunities and more areas of con literally double the areas of conflict fine but it, I'm with you it just seems like baseball is kind baseball probably has hit that ceiling we were talking about with the NFL where they're not getting the ad dollars to backfill it on these regional sport networks and they're pushing back you know yeah yeah. I, it's tough. I mean, we see it with the NBA too. Like the more games that you have, it almost like dilutes your total opportunity for like broadcast deal because it's simple supply and demand, right? Like you have more supply, so it drives the price down. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, baseball, they, they just argue, they fight just to fight, I think. <laughs> they really do seem to. Um, let's move on to our next topic here. Uh, obligatory tarp talk. The NBA uh, tipped off last night. We had the Nets uh, take down the Warriors, and we had the Clippers hold on, kind of, to beat the Lakers. That was that was an interesting game. But the big kind of story is the NBA announced that they are going to allow teams to install tarps around their lower bowl seating because a majority of NBA teams will not be allowed to have any sort of fans in. Right now, they're basically looking at, I believe, just the teams in Texas and Florida that will potentially have the opportunity to have some fans. So they're letting the teams do the tarps. An interesting caveat is that uh, the tarps will only be able to be used for local uh, like team deal inventory for regional broadcasts. So if you're watching the Pistons on Fox Sports Detroit, they can put uh, Flagstar Bank or Michigan Credit Union, whatever, on the tarps uh, for you to watch while you're on Fox Sports. But if the Pistons are playing on the TNT uh, national game, which won't happen, uh, the tarps can only include team or league branding, which seems... Right. Seems interesting to me. Seems weird. Like, why would the league not want to use that as an opportunity to uh, inject some of their league level partners who, just like local partners, are looking for make goods after uh, the 2020 season? Well, I think they are. I think those tarps, aren't they CGIing these brands on these tarps? The way that I read it, and at least from what I recall seeing like during the Lakers game last night, is that it's literally only like the NBA logo and the Lakers logo. Right, and then but throughout the game, I and, and I watched it. I believe they're like literally superimposing digitally. They're putting brands on those tarps. Okay, a lot like you know when they did, um, they put the brands on the court that yep. aren't actually there yep. when when it was in the bubble. Like I believe the same thing is happening on the tarps, and because it, the tarps in real life, they like you said are just the NBA logo and just the Lakers logo. 
But then when you watch the actual broadcast, brands are superimposed on those tarps. Gotcha. Okay, that makes more sense then. So for the regional network, they'll superimpose the team's local sponsors. Right. uh, And for the national broadcast, they'll basically impose league sponsors. Right. Because there's no fans in the building, so you don't need those eyes. You're only seeing it through TV, so they can trick you. Right. Yeah, they can really trick us. Uh, Some other interesting things that the league did to kind of help with with some revenue generation, they've loosened restrictions on hard liquor and sports betting partners and casino partners. We're really starting to see that across all of the leagues, especially as sports betting becomes uh, legal. Is I'm not okay. Yes, liquor. Yes, all that's true. I but I think the NBA is the one that's kind of taking the bull by the horns on this sports betting stuff. NBA. I, I think everybody else is kind of lagging behind. NHL has been big in it. A lot of yeah. NHL teams have signed sports books partnerships. Um, I think, man, I, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure about baseball and, and football is like just starting, but I think with football, it has to really be if sports betting is legal in that state. Um, and those regulations are obviously still rolling out, but yeah, I think the NBA, and th- this was something that, that we kind of missed talking to Tommy about was like the NBA does seem to be the one who is the first mover, which isn't surprising, right? right? Not surprising. Right. Another thing that they're doing, um, teams are going to be able to sell additional camera visible LED signage and baseline apron signage. So it's going to feel like you're watching a fucking AAU game or like those college classic tip-off games where they put the little aprons on the baseline that players are crashing into all the time. Well, did you notice last night in the Nets game, the Nets, um, they and they beat the brakes off of... Um, <laughs> the Warriors. Um, Warriors, thank you. Um, but did you notice normally when you look at the baselines at the NBA level, normally either the team's name extends baseline to base or sideline to sideline across the entire baseline, or it's like centered yes. in the middle of the baseline, you know? But did you notice in the Brooklyn game last night how Brooklyn was shifted toward it was essentially left hand adjusted if you're if you're working in Microsoft Word and <laughs> and so it was like scooted sideways, and so the whole other side of the baseline was blank, and that's what I'm thinking. You're going to get those CGI apron ads in those areas uh, hmm. on the baseline. Were now answer me this because I didn't notice that. Was the Brooklyn being shifted on the court? Was that CGI, or are they actually designing no, the, the court? actual court? The actual court had instead of where it said it just said Brooklyn, it didn't say Brooklyn Nets, but it said Brooklyn, and it was moved instead of being centered underneath the basket like you typically see, it yep. was moved over, and then the whole other side was just black. So they've like, in, in, they've intentionally designed the court to have the uh, team name or whatever that they usually put on the baseline shifted all the way left so that they can use the right as CGI. Right. And then the Lakers kept it centered, but their, their logo was in the middle and they had space on both both sides. sides. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Two other interesting things. Um, They are saying that some teams are looking at basically removing uh, lower bowl seating and putting in like platforms that they can show off um, products. So imagine, you know, we see this in other stadiums, like the, the, the Tigers have it for baseball uh, and the Cowboys have uh, big car displays in stadium. Right. So 
this article mentioned that teams are seriously looking at like taking out seats, using like the concrete slabs, throwing some cars in there, throwing whatever product. And that, I mean, I get it, but it's like, what, what can you imagine being a player? But, but see, all right. One, I think that I, I interpreted that to mean it's the, all the stadiums that are multi hockey basketball arena stadiums, you know, because okay. the, it, when you have those arenas, you, your basketball, usually they have temporary seating, usually in the form of like those aluminum steps. Yep. It's not aluminum, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm yep. not an engineer. Like whatever that metal is that extends from where the boards would be in a hockey game, they extend yeah. further down. It's I, like I, a, I, a choir platform that you would stand it, on singing in the right. choir. <laughs> choir. Uh, but I interpreted that to mean that they were removing those temporary seats and that's where the product placement would be was okay. in where, where your traditional hockey, that extra space between the basketball court and the hockey, where the boards would be. That's where I took that to be where that would be. But maybe I'm wrong. I just read that differently. I mean, that would make sense. Um, that would mean that I would definitely love to see a, a player dive in for a loose ball and like dive into a 2021 Chevy Tahoe <laughs> or something. I want to see, I want to see like those old uh, fantasy files where Lawrence Maroney jumps through both windows of, of the car. Let's see that. Like saving a ball and you flip through like the, the yeah. driver's side window. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or the dude, he was like a white dude for the Washington football team. And he like caught a ball through drywall and plastic. Chris Conley. That was Chris Conley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it so this ultimately to wrap this up always goes back to like the thing that we've talked about a lot is like teams are going to do these, these uh, quote unquote physical assets as mate goods that they hope will be seen on broadcast in the article I was reading research and sports marketing firms will put out how much value they think that that's worth and will bring the league. So they can do all that. But my question remains of like, is there really value to it? Is there, we'll see. We'll I mean, see if brands if, are happy. If Toyota's going to pay a hundred thousand dollars to put their Tundra in the corner, you know, at, what, during the middle of a basketball game, I don't think anybody at the Rockets is going to stop them. Like they're, they're, no. they're going to take take the money and run. But it comes back to at some point, will the brands start to say, "Hey, this isn't worth what you think it's worth, or what these like." Right. You know, the, 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 the TV, the Nielsen's, the, the this article uh, mentioned Navigate, which is based out of Chicago, where they're doing the same thing. They're saying, well, if your logo or product is on the screen, it's worth this amount of dollars every second that it's on the screen. It's like, well, is that accurate? Are we seeing sales on the back end? Are we seeing, are we hitting the metrics we want to hit? Because if they're not, then at some point CMOs, especially as their budgets are being uh, restricted off of, um, the pandemic economy, it's like they got to prove their ROI of every dollar that they spend. So it'll just be interesting if that ever trickles down or if these kind of big level deals, it's like, is there really just that much money to go around? Right. I, yeah, absolutely. But it, I also think it depends on is the NBA's viewership going to hold up over throughout this year too, yeah, because- which feeds into what you're saying. But I think it goes down one more level. Yeah, because you're right. That is a, a very important variable in that calculation is, well, how many eyes? Because you, you can say if it's on TV for this long, it's worth this, but that worth is based on how many eyeballs are watching it. So right. that's a great that's a great point. Uh, let's hit our last work topic, and this will segue us nicely 
uh, into our play topic. College football playoff uh, final rankings were announced. Uh, the Rose Bowl was supposed to serve as one of these semifinal games. The Rose Bowl is located in Pasadena, California, Southern California, and the state of California as a whole is uh, struggling with with the Rona currently. Uh, so California has rules that no spectators can be at sporting events, and because of that, college football playoff has said see ya and is now going to host the Rose Bowl, potentially to be named later, uh, at Jerry World. I want to I want to throw out a conspiracy theory real quick before we jump into like the the part of this that I think is interesting. But like the Southern California positivity rate of Corona is for at the time of this recording, it was fourteen point one percent. Now ex- in the- ex- explain per- to people what that means. So basically, the positivity rate is per hundred thousand people. If you had a hundred thousand people in this area, fourteen point one percent of them would test positive for coronavirus. Doesn't uh, seem that a, good. Yeah. Is, that a, is that a fair summary? Yes. Uh, so they moved. That was that. I can't remember what county, the name of the county that the Rose Bowl's in. Maybe LA County. It is LA County, I believe. Yeah. Um, but that county was 14.1%. They moved it to Tarrant County, which is the home of Jerry World um, in Arlington. And the positivity rate in Tarrant County is 17.6%. As of this recording, <laughs> the only difference between the two places, obviously that the positivity rate is higher, but the other difference is one allows you to have fans in the building. The other one doesn't. Yeah. And so the, what are we, what back to one of our favorite episode titles, follow the money. Why did this thing get moved? It don't let them tell you it's because of Corona. It's because one will make them more money than the other. And, and the note that I wrote down is also don't let them tell you that it's just because the players' families won't be able to be there because we saw Brian Kelly come out and we saw Dabo come out before uh, the ACC championship game and both basically say, hey, if if families can't be at the game, we'll, we'll just boycott the playoffs, which, yeah, I, I call your bullshit on that one and, and would love to see you actually do that because – you would never do that. The ACC uh, would kick them out of the conference if they did that. It, that would just be stupid. Um, but don't let them say that it's just because the families won't be able to be there. Because guess what? When you tune into the Rose Bowl or it'll potentially be called something different, they they kind of have to figure that out. When you tune into that semifinal, uh, which I don't even remember which teams are playing in that one, honestly. Uh, do, you, do you know which game is playing there? Or which teams? Oh. No clue. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> when you tune into one of those semifinals that's now being played in Dallas, uh, just make sure you notice that there's more people at that motherfucking stadium than just the team's family. Yes, way more. <laughs> but, but but you know, you the thing I kind of want to talk about about this because you know we're not a political podcast. Uh, no, is, never. <laughs> is what about the naming rights? I mean, we're are, because the Rose Bowl itself is a brand. And it's an actually a physical, it's a physical building. Like yeah. it's, it's a brand, it's a building. It's, I mean, it's literally. It's all the proper it's, nouns. It's a, it's a people, place, and a thing. Yes, it's a, it, exactly. It, it's literally all of those things. It's an entity in and of itself. Uh, so I, and the Rose Bowl, the people are arguing that this is, they're going to play in Jerry World. It's not the Rose Bowl. So you can't call it the Rose Bowl because the Rose Bowl's over here. The Rose Bowl, the thing with the Rose Bowl, 
the place is all over here in LA. And so you can't, even though they're playing in quote unquote, the Rose bowl game, it's not the Rose bowl. And so you're getting in all these naming rights controversies to where we may not even have a Rose bowl. Yeah. And I was reading something where like, if they do end up calling it something different, I don't know what they would call it. I'm sure. BMF bowl was the, the leader, the leader in the clubhouse. I heard goodness. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I want the, the bad boys, bad boy mowers, a BMF bowl. That's what I'm looking for. Blowing money fast, Southern, yeah. Southern Florida, Ricky Ross, a uh, little bad mf'er. <laughs> um, yeah, th- there's a lot there because the article I was reading said uh, it'd be the first time there was no quote unquote Rose Bowl game since like 1916, um, and like you said, the Rose Bowl is is an entity. It's a tradition. It's internationally recognized as a game as a place as a as a thing yeah there's a lot there because you think on one hand you know the rose bowl could basically just like pay like the rose bowl committee the business of the rose bowl could pay jerry uh uh like a lease fee basically to like rent the stadium for the game and and maybe kick back concessions and some of that type of shit but still be able to like profit off of tickets and and be the ones who are in charge of paying the 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 conferences of the teams and and doing all the gift suites and all that type of stuff but they may just i mean i don't know it that seems see, so, the other so way. super messy i see it the other way i think they should try and license the rose bowl thing to jerry to use yeah. our stuff you pay us to use it yeah, I, I guess it's just the they'd have to do like a financial analysis of what makes them more whole. Like, right. which which situation do they make more money? Which situation does Jerry make more money? Right, because like if he's licensing it, I would think that they'd then want him uh, to be in charge of like paying the. It's like each team in those playoff games gets like twenty million dollars or something like that, right. um, p- plus the gift suites for the players and staff. So it's like. There's a lot of costs that go into hosting a bowl game, especially a college football playoff semifinal. Yeah, that, that's going to be messy. I'm going to be interesting, or it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. But I wasn't surprised that they moved the game. Really, I mean, like you said, follow the money. Uh, which let's let's talk further about follow the money because I think there's more for talking about follow the money in the four teams that got in to the yeah. college football playoff. Um, as we s- smoothly transition into our play topic. Uh, the four teams that got in, Ian, were uh, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio, and Notre Dame. Coming off of Notre Dame's she lacking uh, to Clemson, I believe it was 34-10 was the final uh, last weekend. Wasn't ever that and, close. And it, No, the scoreboard didn't do it justice uh, for how close it was. That It was way not that close. Um Left on the outside looking in was Texas A&M uh, at number five, who was finished eight and one with their only loss being to Alabama, uh, who at the time did have Jalen Waddell. Uh, yeah, Waddell. Waddle. Uh, Waddle, excuse me. Uh, Waddle, baby. Waddle, baby. Waddle, baby. Waddle. <laughs> so there was a lot of uproar, especially in the great state of Texas, um, over Texas A&M being snubbed. And Notre Dame getting in, especially after they just got beaten badly uh, by the hands of Clemson. What are your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, man, I've got a couple. So unfortunately, I think that once once you saw Clemson was going to win, 
uh, you pretty much knew what four teams were going to get in, I think, um, because you started to play it out, right? Where it's like, regardless of Alabama winning or losing, they're going to keep Bama in. And even if Florida beat them, they probably wouldn't put Florida in because then it would just be a rematch, right? They would have likely put Florida in at four. So, well, I guess maybe it wouldn't have been, but it it just looked messy. But I I guess the main point was like, at the end of the day, when Alabama did win, Clemson won, Ohio State held on to beat Northwestern in kind of a bad football game to watch. Here here was my thought process was like, okay, so one is going to be Alabama, two is going to be Clemson, Three is going to be Ohio. If they put AM in at four, you have a rematch with Bama. But I don't think they AM should be at four. You think A&M they should be, be three? Three and Ohio should be four. But yeah, and and so I played that scenario out as well. And my thought was like, they're just not going to do that because the college football playoff wants to respect the Big Ten and they basically bend to ohio state's wishes as well the big 10 does as well right so they weren't gonna have a one loss team jump an undefeated uh power five conference champion in my opinion that's why like i knew they weren't gonna do that even if they thought texas a&m was better than ohio so once you knew they weren't gonna do that then you're like they're not putting a&m at four for a rematch with alabama that was a 28 point game so notre dame's gonna get in so but you genuinely believe that a six and zero Ohio team getting in after a let's call it unsettling performance against Northwestern, and they didn't look great against Indiana either. No, uh, the, those two games have the the football talking heads who get paid to do what we're doing right now have said that the Indiana game and the Northwestern game have not only took in like Justin Fields out of like Heisman consideration, even though he wasn't necessarily in it. Is it's like our team's going to draft him in the top two or three quarterbacks. Yeah, he's fallen to like a fourth or fifth round pick uh, because of those two games. But but my question is, is Ohio being number four, is that not the college football playoff respecting the Big Ten? Big Ten and, frankly, Ohio State at that point? Because, you you, like we said, you've only played six games. Yes, you're the Big Ten champion. and, And yes, you're Ohio. You have that brand recognition, that following. But does that... That to me still seems like we're bending over backwards to let you in. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I agree completely. I just think that they're looking at it like I think they also try and look at it as like they don't want to set these precedents. Like they're scared of setting precedents, right? So they want the precedents to be if you win your conference championship and it's a conference that we respect because we don't respect the Pac-12 and we don't necessarily respect the Big 12 either. But if you win your conference uh, in the ACC, SEC, or Big Ten, we're you're going to be the top three team, and then the fourth the fourth slot will put in like whoever we kind of feel like getting blown out that year. Well, if anybody's a regular at getting blown out, it's those Golden Domers in South Bend. Well, and so here's here's my question: is like, is there parity in college football? Well, how far down are we talking? If you're talking, let's say, is there parity in the college football playoff? It's going to be Clemson and Notre Dame, or Clemson and Alabama again. I guess what I was setting up is like, I think that every year there's basically six to eight teams who 
four of those teams are going to be in the college football playoff and everybody else barring crazy, crazy circumstances, isn't going to have a shot. So it's always going to be four of these realistically six to eight teams every year. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, but I still think A&M got jobbed. And and to finish off my conspiracy theory here, before we get into parody talk, I would tell you it's A&M doesn't have the the national following of Notre Dame and fewer people, few, few more people would tune in and get rabid about Notre Dame than they would A&M. Yeah, 100%. And, and people wouldn't, yeah. And regardless of who A&M was playing, like they knew they weren't going to tune in for a rematch with Alabama. Could, would they have tuned in for Clemson? Like probably, but my assumption is that uh, the ratings for the college football playoff semifinals and for the final uh, will be down dramatically this year, if I had to guess. Yeah, I mean, ratings have been down for everything across every sport. But I, I've talked to a lot of people, you know, kind of in our friend groups and some of my other friend groups of people who love college football, and they're, like, not really sold in on watching any of these games because it, it is seemingly a foregone conclusion that it's going to be Alabama-Clemson, and you're like – do these teams actually deserve to be here in terms of Ohio and Notre Dame? Why didn't we blow it out to eight teams this year? Like a lot of people I think are just kind of over it. Yeah. And, but I think a lot of people are over this year too. Yeah. True. Very true. So, Is it safe to say we both agree that they should go to eight for this year or down the forever? I think uh, down the road. See, I, I just think it's too many games, man. At what point is the, what is, at what point are we, professionals i mean i I argue you're already working these guys you know not necessarily at a professional level but you're getting pretty close yeah you you know in in a normal season where you play 12 regular season games if you then make your conference championship that's 13 a semifinal and championship game are 15 games that's for those counting at home one less than you play in an nfl regular season my my theory and rebuttal would be like Literally every other level level of college football does a much more expanded playoff uh, setup than um, Division One FBS. Yeah, but I, I just would you but, take well, away regular season games? Like, I guess the question would be, which games are more profitable? Are would having a quarterfinal round of playoffs be more profitable than Michigan playing? an extra big 10 game on the big yeah, 10 network. What? Well, if we could all agree to get rid of the, the cupcake tune up games at the beginning that, that in, and all like get rid of playing, you know, your centrals and not to crap on central, but like Michigan versus central at the beginning or LSU versus Louisiana Monroe at the beginning of the season. If we could all agree to toss those out and we add a quarterfinal, I'm for it. Let's do it. Yeah, because I, I think you're right. You have to be aware of the total number of games, how that plays into player safety, as well as their quote-unquote amateurism. Maybe name image likeness is what allows this to happen. Right, but the people who are going to throw a fit if we try to get rid of those early games and, and get rid of those cupcake games are the the teams playing in those because those schools get fat checks from the big schools to play in those games. Exactly. And and not to mention the group of five teams who they already have trouble scheduling out of conference games like Ohio State doesn't want to play Cincinnati. Nobody in the Big Ten wants to schedule Cincinnati. Nobody wants to schedule BYU. 
Um, so that makes it very tough for them to get the resume that the experts say that they need to get into the playoff, even though they win every game that they play. Um, and yeah, so that would really diminish their opportunity to do that. If you shorten the season to maybe, let's say like a 10 game season, you played all conference games, maybe one non-conference game to, to be able to play like a 16 or eight, eight team playoff or something like that. But it's just interesting. It, it does suck to see teams not even get a chance. Um, even if 99 times out of a hundred, they would get blown out. Like that one time is going to happen. Right. I mean, UVA being the number one seed, like in getting beat. I mean, I also, I also think that they could even potentially find a way to like have the one and two seeds to have buys. So then those first round games were a little bit more, um, quote unquote competitive. And then leading into those one and two seeds, but yeah, I don't think they're ever going to do it, so it's it's just us musing and hoping. Uh, let's get into our dedicated segments of the week. I saw you have a crackback this week. I do that, have a crackback. That I like very much. Okay, so my crackback this weekend, um, for those of you who didn't see it, because uh, why would you care? Um, <laughs> the, New York, the New York Jets won a football game, uh, which also keeps the Detroit Lions in uh, running for being the only 0-16 team to ever grace us. One of two. Oh, it was two? The OA one, who else? The uh, Browns. Oh, goodness. I What year was that? Uh, it was mid, mid-2010s. mid They had a two-year stretch where they went 0-16 and 1-15, so they were 1-31. I think that was right before they got Baker. But regardless, the Lions and the Browns have both been 0-16. Well, the Jets have now removed themselves from that uh, contest um, and seemingly have – which everybody was in the tank for Trevor boat in New York – and by winning the game, um, they against the Los Angeles Rams, who were nine and four going into the game, uh, NFC West leaders, leaders, uh, no, uh, tied with Seattle at the time, needed a win, <laughs> needed, needed a win, needed, needed the win desperately. Um, and they were the Jets have been in the tank for Trevor uh, sweepstakes, so nobody in their right mind. Thought the Jets wanted to win this game. Thought the Jets were going to win this game. And the Jets win this game. And now, if the schedules continue to play out and both the Jets and Jaguars lose their last two games, which are to be expected, if they both finish 1-15, the Jacksonville Jaguars will have the first overall pick instead of the New York Jets. Uh, and I guess just my question to you to end my crackback is, do the Jets go from one of the better – coach landing spots because i don't think there's any doubt adam gase is gone um at the end of this year do the jets go from one of the better landing spots because you have trevor lawrence coming in to now one of the worst uh because you don't have trevor lawrence coming in i i do think that they maybe take a small hit but um just from what i hear consuming different football content i suppose is it sounds like the Jets still have a lot going for them in terms of why they would be a like place to go. One, it's just New York. Two, you still have a top two pick. Um, people seem to like the Jets GM in terms of what he's done in the past couple drafts with, with some of his picks. Um, and the Jets still have something crazy in terms of like the amount of first and second round picks that they have over the next couple seasons. But yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those weird things where you listen to guys talk who have been on bad teams before 
who have been on 0 and 16 teams, who have been on 1 and 15, 2 and 14. And while the fan base, the media, maybe even the front office, if they feel confident in their jobs, definitely ownership, they want you to fucking lose, especially if that number one pick is somebody who seems to be a locked in stud like Trevor Lawrence. But if you're the players in the locker room and you're the coaches in the locker room, you're playing to win because Absolutely. it's your only like it's your job opportunity. It's your interview every week because you assume that at this point, you know, the house is probably going to get cleaned. So you need to have good tape so that you can get a job somewhere else as a player or a coach. So it's that weird dichotomy. Like they were, they were talking about how um, there's probably this juxtaposition of like everybody in the Jets locker room is pumped, right? They just won a game. That's got to be an amazing feeling after starting the season. Oh, and 14 or Oh, and 13, whatever. Oh, and 13. And there's a very real chance that like the Jets ownership was having a bad, bad day, like really having <laughs> a bad day, like tears of joy in one part of the building, tears of sorrow in the next part of the building. Yeah, but every other Sunday, it's been the opposite. Yeah, the owners exactly. in front office, it's owners like, like, let's go, yeah. keep losing, baby, let's go. Yeah. And then, it's, yeah, and then the team is sad, crying because they can't win. And, I mean, it hurts their resume, like you were saying. So it's just a very weird dichotomy that's created. I, I also think, like, yes, it seems that Trevor Lawrence, out of number one picks who have come out in the past, you know, like decade, whatever you want to say, seems to be as much of a lock as you could be, but nobody is a guaranteed lock. So like no. who you take at two may end up being better than Trevor Lawrence. If, if you take a quarterback or if you take fuck Panay Sewell, you know, so Devontae, it's like uh, Heisman going to be the Heisman winner. Devonte Smith should that be guy the Heisman can, winner. Should he hopefully be play. the Heisman winner. Yeah, man, that is a good receiver. Yeah, he's good. He's good. Um, so yeah, that'll be interesting. But it is—it's a weird football dichotomy of uh, one half of the building crying tears of joy, one half crying uh, tears of sorrow, and potentially thinking the next decade of the franchise is ruined. Um, I agree. Let's hear your money move, sir. Money move. So this is kind of on the heels of what we talked about at the outset of the show here of the Washington football team having some serious struggles, but they have had one, uh, really two big bright spots. One was was Ron Rivera. I think everybody agrees that he's regarded as a, a pretty great coach he's been fighting and beating cancer in the middle of the season going and getting chemo and do it, it's his story on its own is is incredible but on the business side of things they brought in jason wright to be the president of the washington football team meaning that he oversees all of the business operations for marketing sales community finances all that type of stuff sports business journal named him as their best uh the best sports hire of 2020 Jason Wright's a pretty cool story. I would definitely recommend people kind of looking into him and finding some of the interviews that he's done. I've got to hear him talk on the McAfee show like three or four times now uh, since he took that role. And I always take multiple nuggets out of his answers. Um, but he played he played uh, college ball at Northwestern, spent seven years in the NFL, then just casually went and got his MBA from uh, the Booth School of Business, which is University of Chicago, top tier MBA program. Uh, went and worked at McKinsey and Company, which is one of the big three or four consulting firms globally. Like, not easy to get a job in. Uh, and now is is you know walks into a crisis situation with with the Washington Football Team going through uh, not having a name when he showed up. And I think on his second day was when the original 
Washington Post articles broke about the 40 uh, accusations of sexual assault. So he, he seemingly has done a really good job. Great guy to listen to. And in terms of the business side, if they can figure out some of this Snyder stuff, it seems like uh, the Washington football team has the potential to become uh, kind of one of the better run business operations in the NFL. And and I quickly, just to add, I think we've kind of touched on it in previous episodes, but just we, we've been clamoring for that new blood to come in and it's not the recycling of the old boys club in front offices of all sports teams. Um, but I, and I know we've been clamoring for, you know, maybe new blood of a different gender and things and different things like that. But this to me is still new blood and, you know, new blood of a different race and things like that. So it's definitely still a a huge step forward. I think just as far as progressing the industry forward um, that you are seeing that influx of new blood slowly start to come in and getting rid of this old guard, if you will. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because you couldn't be more right. Um, I, I believe he might be like the first black male president in the NFL for an NFL team. Um, I don't it, know that, uh, if, but if not the first, certainly one of a, a handful ever. Um, he, yeah, he's younger. Uh, he, he just is bringing that, that new blood that you talked about and hopefully becomes more of, uh, the norm versus the exception. Let's, uh, in, in spirit of the holiday season, why don't you introduce the listeners to this week's edition of the fantasy five? Well, folks, this week, uh, we kind of touched on it earlier. We have one of the most festive Fantasy Fives uh, for you. Uh, Ian and I are going to be doing Christmas movies on the Fantasy oh, Five this week. And for those of you who don't know, the Fantasy Five, each week, Ian and I pick a topic, pit those two teams of five against each other in that topic, and we throw it to social media for you guys to vote on. Uh, and we do use the snake system because it separates us from the animals. Uh, and so we're doing Christmas movies this week, and Ian, I... The one caveat that we did have uh, is to, in order to be selected, uh, you have, have, have had to have seen said Christmas movie. Yes, correct. And my list of Christmas movies that I have seen is embarrassingly small. Uh, for, <laughs> so I guess I'm not very festive, but uh, here we go. I'm at uh, Christmas movies. And I did get my metaphorical tail whipped. Um, last week against tom so you you do get the oh i get the, the selection choice. here yes oh man Ooh, this is tough because both of us have talked about we aren't like the largest christmas movie connoisseurs but i do think that i will take the number one pick Ooh. yeah i think i'm gonna Ooh. do it i think i'm wow. gonna do it um, going against the old against the the tried and true strategy going against the veteran move and i'm going to take christmas vacation yeah national lampoon chevy chase i have not ever seen it (laughs) literally was not on my board it's uh i think it's it's quite the classic chevy chase is it's got some for being made when it was i think it's got a lot of good humor very quotable um one of the Christmas movies that I'm okay watching every year. I'll put it that way. Wow. Okay. Wow. All right. I like it. Um, So I'm going to next, I'm going to take the top two on my big board. Uh, First, first off uh, I'm taking elf. Okay. Uh, I just, the one liners you can drop at at around Christmas time uh, to do with elf. 
welcome aboard. Uh, next, I'm taking probably my actual favorite Christmas movie, uh, and that is How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, Mike Myers, that version. Although the cartoon version is very good too. So either one, but I'm this one um, is intended to be the Mike Myers version. So you liked because Jim Carrey was the Grinch once as well, correct? Did I uh, hold on? Maybe I got the wrong. Was it? I thought it was Mike Myers. Was it Jim Carrey? I know Jim Carrey has done one. Well, hold on. Let, let me uh, consult the old interwebs. It, yeah, Jim Carrey, that one. Okay. <laughs> the Jim Carrey one. It's not the Mike Myers one. There is no Mike Myers one. It doesn't exist. <laughs> so the Jim Carrey one. Perfect. Jim Carrey one. Yeah, I think I think that one. Those are both good picks, obviously. Um, okay, going into the next one, I guess I'm going to get the top three on my board here. So so we've, we've got some interesting boards going. I'm going to take a Christmas story, uh, which okay. is Ralphie shooting his eye out. The, yep. uh, the, the leg lamp. Uh, and then I'm going to take the original Home Alone. Both were on my big board. Uh, can't can't be mad at that. Um, good Home Alone, great pick. I, I thought I was going to sneak that one in last because I didn't know if you were going to count that as a Christmas movie, but uh, obviously not. So good pick. But I'm going to walk out of here with my top four on my big board. Oh. Uh, so, but I also have a just sneaking feeling that we are going to get roasted on social media for these lists. I don't know why. I just have that sink like like our horror films, how we just got taken to the woodshed for those lists. That's true. Uh, That's true. Um, but anyway, moving on. Uh, I'm going to take Bad Santa. Oh, okay. Uh, Billy Bob. Just, Billy Bob. I think it's a hilarious movie, uh, and you know, good clean family fun at Christmas time. Uh, and then next I'm going to take the Santa Claus, little Tim Allen, little Tim Allen piece. Uh, that one was a big part of my childhood. Watched that all the time as a kid. Uh, so welcome aboard the Santa Claus. So you just, uh, Santa Claus was in my top five. So we've broken the streak of just being able to take the top movies on our list because, uh, yep. Santa Claus would have been next for me. Um, so I'm going to go ahead here and round the team out with uh, the old school Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the like okay. stop the claymation. claymation. Yep. Yeah. I uh, So we've been watching like different Netflix Christmas movies or like the ones that are on Lifetime or Hallmark Channel. And some of them are okay. Some of them are pretty bad. Uh, and then Rudolph, the, the original Rudolph was on. And I was like, this movie still holds up more so than some of these trash ass Christmas movies that are being so put up. Many. So I was like, you know what? This is still holding up. This this is good. So I like I like the original Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer with uh what was the like Cornelius Cornelius Fudge or whatever his name is. Um. Oh man, this is where we get tough because for my like seven, eight, nine, ten, I kind of just made quite the. It's just a cluster and a smorgasbord. I'll go with seven because I put it there for a reason. Office Christmas Party. That was on my big board too. That movie is funny. I just the only that reason movie it was is so, funny, dude. The only reason it was so low is because I didn't think it would uh, it would pander enough. I didn't think the people <laughs> would know it. Uh, but that a star, is a whole star-studded cast. It's got Stainer from She's Out of My League. It's got Jason Bateman. Um, it's Jessica got, or uh, not Jessica. Um, fuck now i'm gonna forget her name jennifer aniston 
Yep. Oh, I mean, it's a, it's just a funny movie. It's got the uh, dude. What's his name? He's gotten to some hot water. Um, he got taken off Silicon Valley. He's got like TJ. The, yeah, that's Stainer from. She, oh, it's okay. TJ. TJ Martin. TJ Miller. TJ Miller. Okay. But yeah, it's a good. I like that movie. It's it's a good time. Good funny movie. Good good pick. Uh, I applaud you for taking it. I probably wasn't going to take it, even though it's one of my better movies on this list. Um, all right, so I get to round it out, and I am going to walk out of here with one, two, three, four, and six on my big board. So pretty good. <laughs> I'm, and I'm taking a night, the Nightmare Before Christmas, the Tim Burton version. Uh, I don't think there's another version, but that one, the Tim Burton movie. Um, I didn't think, and I guess the reason I like that is because I went into watching that movie with such low expectations and came out actually somewhat enjoying it. So uh, that one hit home, and so I'm taking that one. I like it. I've seen that. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I recall not thinking it was bad as a kid. Um, let's run our list down really quick before we get into any uh, honorable mentions. Uh, so I'll start with mine: Christmas Vacation, A Christmas Story, Home Alone, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and Office Christmas Party. And I have Elf, and then I have How the Grinch Stole Christmas, not the Mike Myers version, not to be confused with the Jim Carrey version that I selected, uh, Bad Santa, The Santa Claus, and The Nightmare Before Christmas. Any, uh, you mentioned you had one, two, three, four, and six. I got my one, two, three, five, and seven on my big board. You took four and six. So I had three uh, honorable mentions, uh, two of which I've just seen recently. Uh, the first one, Jingle Jangle. Uh, the second Ooh. one, The Christmas Chronicles, both Netflix available. Uh, and then at number 10, I had Jack Frost. I had Jack Frost. Uh, I, that one I did have. That's a good one. Uh, I haven't seen either of the other two you listed. Uh, I had uh, I had to put this on just, I guess, for my mom. But It's a Wonderful Life I had on there. I think it's an incredibly boring movie, but <laughs> it's like the, it's like the staple it's in black and white. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's painful. But it's it's like the staple Christmas movie, I guess. Uh, I had a Charlie Brown Christmas, uh, and then I had Die Hard. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, if we're – yeah. If we got to that point where you r- ripped through my big board, I was going to end up taking Die Hard, and we were going to start the internet feud again. But yeah. here we I, go. I was telling Colin off air, I've never seen Die Hard. Uh, but I am aware that it is a large conversation every year about is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Is it not? I don't know enough about the movie to say either way. Would you consider it a Christmas movie? Uh, for this Fantasy Five, I had to to get to ten <laughs> Christmas movies I'd seen. Uh, otherwise, I'd have been left at nine. But if you had, if you had to, had like gun to my head and do I consider it a Christmas movie? No. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, a couple of housekeeping items before we get out of here. Monday's best bet. We screwed up. Uh, not the first week we've screwed up, uh, but forgot to make picks. It won't the- be the last. Yeah, won't be the last. Um, forgot to make picks for the Steelers Bengals game this past Monday. Probably, probably thankfully, but I don't know. The spread was four. Thankfully. The spread was fourteen and a half. That's a massive spread in the NFL. Right, and and I can tell you what I would have done because I know me and I'm dumb. I would have not touched it, and I would have just hit the over under on one way or the other, probably and would have missed. Yeah, probably yeah. under because you're thinking the Bengals aren't going to be able to score. Right. <laughs> yeah, so 
what we we uh kept our records intact of i am currently at six and eleven after a little double dip two and oh of the ravens versus browns two weeks ago colin you're at seven and nine so flirting right around 500 uh Looking at the upcoming Monday night game, which is Bills at Patriots, we have some early lines. Now, we'll have to monitor these to see if they move. My guess is both of these numbers will move uh, as different money starts to come in different places. But the Bills are currently seven-point favorites on the road at New England. The over-under is 46. Any early leans here? Now, this isn't going to be our guaranteed picks, but any early leans for the people who are listening uh, tomorrow and before these games take off? I'm I'm... Early lean is the over and the Bills. Yeah. Early, early. But I want to see because obviously the Patriots don't have anything to play for anymore and the Bills have clinched a playoff spot. Yes, they can still – seeding matters, and I would argue it matters a lot in this year's playoff too. But I, I don't want to make a commitment either way until I see how – Who's playing on each side of the football this week? Yep, I agree. I'm, I'm, I certainly lean Bills to cover the seven. I was thinking earlier, is there a number that it potentially gets to that I don't feel comfortable with? Uh, I don't know. Nine and a half, <laughs> ten maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think I would tell you ten, ten and a half is my, I think my cutoff. Yeah, because that's that's uh, that's two touchdowns. That's two touch. Well, yes, that's two touchdowns, and Just I down. that's. An, that's tough. So, but even seven and a half has me nervous. I don't know. It, it, it like I don't know this. I just don't like this. I want to see. I don't know who's playing. There's too many question marks. If it right hits, now. if it hits a uh, bill six and a half, hammer that motherfucker. Lay it down. I don't care if it goes to six and a half at any point. You take it. Absolutely. So be on the lookout on our socials. We'll get those out. I'm gonna do a better job of getting those on Twitter too because I think we can get some good interaction there. Uh, speaking of our social medias, for those of you who don't already, go ahead and head over to Instagram and Twitter at the Cutback Pod. You can follow us and uh, follow along with all the content there. You can listen uh, to the episode directly on Spotify, but also we encourage you to go to sportsasajob.com um, and follow Sports as a Job on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, the The episodes are posted on the website and highlighted. Uh, on the sports as a job social media pages they also highlight quotables from the episodes especially when we have guests on who usually have more quotables uh, than you and i Uh, but head on over and follow them and speaking of sports as a job colin there you go shameless plug yesterday we had the ability to be guests on it on a show on a podcast we were the guests we're we're big time Ian. we're pretty pretty big (laughs) pretty big time uh so colby who created sports as a job uh runs that podcast kind of runs the network that we're a part of um had us on for his episode of sports as a job that will drop on sunday so as you listen to this uh over the end of the week uh be on the lookout on sunday our episode uh with colby will drop uh where we kind of talk about our own personal career journeys some of our goals going forward uh, as well as uh, talk a little bit about the cutback pod. So make sure to be on the lookout for that uh, so you can hear us talk a little more and hear us as guests versus as uh, hosts. So without further ado, the last thing that we do before we get out of here, um, dedicating the episode to an athlete. We're on episode number 32. Before we got on air, uh, we had to, to kind of brainstorm. Detroit basketball. <laughs> Rip. Hamilton. 
So that's who we got, baby. Old Richard Rip Hamilton, UConn the, legend, Pistons legend, Pistons the legend. Of the mask, the my, creator of <laughs> my very first debit card Ooh. was a Visa debit card that had the Detroit Pistons logo on it because of Rip and the boys, basically in their championship in two thousand four. Best uh, Rip Hamilton quote uh, that he ref- the people actually it wasn't even him who made the quote; it was a quote about him, Bruce Bowen. Don't know if you remember him. One of the best defenders to ever play. Now that kind of role has disappeared in basketball, but whatever. Uh, Bruce Bowen said he always called Rip Hamilton the Greyhound because when Rip Hamilton didn't have the ball, he never stood still the entire time. And it was literally like he Bruce Bowen said, and I believe I don't have the quote in front of me, but it was something along the lines of, I would drop 10 pounds in water weight just chasing Rip Hamilton around the floor the entire time on defense. I'm glad you bring that up because a lot of times now, and especially with the Warriors playing last night, Steph's first game uh, really in like a full season, that's one of the things that gets talked about when we talk about Steph as a player is not only is he obviously pretty darn good with the ball in his hands, but his off-ball movement is consistent and it's it's ferocious. He's always moving without the ball either to get himself open or to create spacing on the court for his teammates. Um, and when I think about myself looking back and watching basketball, Rip Hamilton was the first player that I saw really play that way. Somebody who can give you 20 a game. We were just looking it up. He averaged 21 and a half points uh, over the course of the t- 2004 playoffs in which the Pistons ultimately beat the Lakers uh, to bring home the chip. So a guy who's averaging 21 and a half a game, running 10 pounds worth of water weight off of him, just running around the court when he doesn't have the ball. Pretty impressive. Not a lot of, not a lot of that in today's NBA or in, no. in that time's NBA, really, for that matter. Either. There's not a lot of Rip Hamilton's period. Just ever. Beautiful man. Glad, glad to have him represent episode 32. Any uh, any sign or shout outs? Anything else you got before we get on out of here? Yeah, I was I was gonna give him a shout out a couple weeks ago, and it we've just had guests, and I uh, didn't really feel it was fitting. But I want to give a shout out to Timmy C. Uh, oh, Tom, Tom Klitzmel, as he's known in the streets. Uh, I, he's one of our hundreds of thousands of listeners, probably the most dedicated listener we have. So I wanted to give him a shout out. Uh, he we were. He spent over 2,000 minutes listening to us banter back and forth about sports in 2020 in his year in review. Uh, so shout out Tom Klitzmel. Yeah, and he's always heavy on the socials as well, always showing love on the socials. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, with that with that said, um, this has been episode 32 of the Cutback Podcast. Until next time, keep your head on a swivel. Try not to get laid the fuck out. Bow, 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 bow.